to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. We're going to be talking with Muriel Perez-McCabe, who is an enterprise customer engineer at Google Cloud. Welcome to Page It to the Limit, Muriel. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Our conversation has been super interesting so far, so I'm looking forward to keeping that going. Awesome. So to get us going, like, tell us a bit about yourself. You've had a really interesting career. You've done a lot of different things. Like, what are you working on now and, and what's, uh, what's cool for you? For the past year, I've been here at Google as an enterprise customer engineer, and my lineage before that was in this world of starting kind of from the ground level with the IT systems administration, help desk of all kinds of flavors, working at managed service providers that had a closet full of, you know, these tower servers that, uh, you know, we're, we're running off of a, a small UPS all the way up through this transition to, to cloud. And when systems administration was no longer in vogue, then I kind of moved over to cloud engineering and DevOps engineering, which was a lot of the same principles, just sort of rebranded. Uh, spent a lot of time doing that for different types of companies and then finally landed here at Google on the other side of things, helping customers solve some of those same problems that that I was working on. Yeah, that has to be super different. Like, what are you finding? Like, once you are transitioning from like in-house to, to working with a vendor is helping all your customers. The most interesting thing, which we'd spoken about a little bit, is coming to terms with after having spent a good portion of my life being on call in one way or another and having this sort of stewardship for a large set of different systems in the back of my head constantly to now being you know off the page or off being on on call to hardware but sort of being on call in a different sense to you know customers and to to humans and it's it's an interesting transition of thinking about just work and work hours and also just the availability of, of myself as a person to be able to respond to certain things. That's been a very interesting transition and it's been it's been great actually to to say, wow, I, I'd spent I'd spent my time in those trenches and having to put out a lot of fires. It's not like there aren't fires, they're just a very different sort of, of problem. The sort of the concept of like you're working on stuff that you don't necessarily own. Like you you transition to into like owning a relationship and like these kinds of things versus like owning the software that's running. We found that to be, it's kind of strange to detach yourself from it, that transition. Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing that I found that is something, especially from being hands-on keyboard for so many years, it's something that I've sort of baked in and carved out time for myself on generally to be able to figure out how I can stay hands-on, uh, I've, I've got sort of a mini mini lab of some of these Intel Nuxt running in, in the background because it's sort of my way of being able to still stay plugged into a hands-on world and start start building things. But that's something I think I've consciously sort of held on to is can I can I still you know build some things so that I can stay close to the solution, close to the hardware, close to the software, while at the same time being a few levels above that and looking at things from this sort of abstract architectural sense. So I will say it's 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 different. I uh, 
I won't say that I don't miss having, you know, this, this collection, they're not, you know, they're not supposed to be pets anymore. you know, we've gotten away from this idea of your service as pets, but you still think of this fleet of machines or like virtual systems as, as a group of things that you are caring for in a certain way. Absolutely. And I, I still, you know, I, I still remember their names. I still remember some of the IP addresses that I had to know in, in the back in the day. And you're like, it's like remembering weird commercials from when you were a kid. Like, why am I retaining this piece of data? Like, I, I don't care about this anymore. Oh, totally. Like my first serious uh, tech job when I was doing support, we had that sort of secret master password that we knew if we couldn't find find the login that, you know, maybe try this one. And maybe it was that because that was kind of a, a default that we were using. It's like one of those secrets that you're not supposed to to have, but we all just kind of internally knew, you know, try that one. Oh, wow. We got into that system. Cool. Right, right. When I was in college, one of our secret passwords was something around the lines of like the house is on fire and like, <laughs> awesome. with, like numbers and stuff in it. And like, I will, I will never forget that because that, that association is just like burned into my brain. So totally. Yeah, definitely does that for you. So one of our, our little sections on, on pages to the limit is about debunking myths. And we were talking earlier before we started the recording about uh, a good myth that I was one of my personal favorite ones too. So we we're talking about a, a good myth about substance administration operations. So why don't we debunk that one for us? <laughs> sure. So the idea was around this being the the hero lone ranger of of your systems, and the that one person that is in a lot of organizations or teams that has been there for a certain amount of time to have this muscle memory baked in and a lot of tribal knowledge that doesn't always end up translating into your documentation or into your ticketing systems or into your monitoring tools or whatever you have um, where you know, all right, if I, if I just ping this person, there's a good chance that they know some small detail about this system like our authentication system that has gone down that needs to be poked in a certain way to come back online or uh when they see a certain type of latency coming in for requests they they know where that bottleneck is without having to look at anything else it's just somewhere somewhere there in their neurons right and this idea of having to either one on the other side rely on that person to be able to to support these systems in a certain way or support an outage in a certain way or on the other end being that person where you know maybe it's just faster to say I can go in there and I know within half an hour I can get this resolved versus there's maybe double time or triple time to get somebody else trained into being able to do the same but I think that continued reliance of having the the, the human bottleneck is just, I mean, inherently, of course, not scalable in the same way that, you know, you need to scale your systems. The human resources need to be scaled in a certain way. So I think the idea around that myth is, one, I mean, there's, there's probably a certain level of, of just uh, chemicals and dopamine and everything that go into, you know, the that rush of being able to solve a solution. But I think overall, it's like the sustainability of being able to have a team that can solve those same problems which will only really happen by one, giving that ops, that hardworking, you know, systems or SRE person a vacation every now and then that they can be unplugged for, not a vacation where the pager or the emergency number is on the bedside just in case, but like an unplugged vacation. And then also 
uh, the idea that the more people that are there can also start to respond to those similar issues, the more that they will now build up that same type of just instinct to be able to go in and to support these systems. Yeah, absolutely. It's super important for you know, bringing along your junior people, uh, your new folks that, that don't have all that institutional knowledge or are new to the, the skill set that um, they can only learn so much by watching the master. Eventually, they have to wax on, wax off themselves. And yeah, detaching that person whose brain is plugged into the system directly, uh, sending them off to the beach for a while is, <laughs> is definitely an excellent idea for, for folks. When you're working with customers, do you find that they're still, you know, working through some of those issues too, or is that maybe not something that you get to talk to them about? Well, I mean, it's something that I'm I'm interested in talking about, or just this sort of idea of being in this sort of operations and dev space. So it's I feel like every, of course, there's no ideal organization out there. They all have kind of their own individual pain points of what is the most problematic and are all in different stages of that growth. Yes. But I kind of feel like across the board, it feels like, particularly now, particularly because we have this whole set of just new tech and processes to support by not being in office, by having places that were just not designed to support like mostly remote work, which is yeah. where I think a lot of organizations are. There are a lot of, of teams now that I feel like are really trying to figure out how to, you know, how to be able to, to get their time set up in a certain way so that they, they can respond. I mean, a lot of teams just feel like they're busy. There are people that, you know, don't have enough resources, not mm-hmm. enough time in the day, not enough, you know, bandwidth to be able to, to deal with things. And so it is, it is kind of an issue. And I think overall in the industry also, like one other dialogue I think has been really interesting is this ongoing idea about to go back to, to bringing your juniors along, like the mentorship of junior engineers and being able to slowly bridge that gap because there's there's a trade-off, right? Like there's some places where we're like, all right, all we've got is enough budget for, for X. And mm-hmm. a lot of times where places will default to is we just need to get that senior person in because they'll be able to, to come in and right. be autonomous and fix everything, which is fine. But then we always end up with this gap of how do we, how do we get more people into that level, you know, how do we get more people that are our juniors or are learning, or that have a lot of maybe even fresh ideas, because they don't have old bad habits baked in, like, how can these people start plugging in and contributing? And it's, it's kind of this difficult balance of getting more places to buy into saying like, yeah, there is going to be this extra overhead of maybe the mentorship and the training and the education and everything. But it's like that, you know, past benefit future return analysis, right? How much is that going to gain you long term by having more people that you can bring along the way? Yeah, absolutely. And like, so as I was looking at your your LinkedIn, one of the projects you had been working on was girls in tech. So does that sort of feed into the same same ideas there, like bringing more more folks into the industry completely? Like there's definitely Oh, we could go on for days about, you know, the, the shortcomings of, of, you know, the, the pipeline and the, the leaky pipes and, and all the other metaphors that, that we're using. But, you know, internal to any given company, there's opportunities for, for junior folks to, to move up and, and, and those kinds of things. But like external organizations that are, are looking to foster and mentor 
younger folks into the whole industry are super interesting too. Totally, totally. And it's, gosh, I, I spent just a fair amount of time volunteering and organizing and helping out with different groups kind of on all levels, like one, one place was doing a lot of these hands-on events for girls that would be sometimes as low as elementary school or youth of all ages, you know, to be able to get exposure, particularly in underrepresented communities, where I guess part of the idea is if you grow up and know nobody that is an engineer, and you don't see any engineers that look like you, and this isn't something that is ever either presented or encouraged as as a thing in school, how do more girls make that leap to saying, this is something that I think that I can do. Like, this is something that I can do hands-on. This is something that is tangible that I even understand. It's like, you know, how does all that, I mean, and people are using their app, like mobile apps and websites and technology is just an inherent part of growing up now. But to make that jump to say, well, I can create these same things and knowing that and I think there is more and more access to a lot of that because we're kind of in the space where content and creation and, you know, making and uploading videos and working really hands on with this technology is a lot more accessible. But a lot of just these mentorship activities would kind of take it to that other level of like, all right, you know, what does it mean to to be a coder, you know, and, and sort of breaking that down. And I think that sort of sparks that curiosity and excitement. And also just being able to say, I think with with some of the events that we would do just out in the community to say like, hey, there there is a place to support because everybody has a different story. Some people have very non-traditional backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Or might not have come from a true, like I, I didn't have a traditional computer science degree, you know? Mm-hmm. Looking at, at that, and saying, well, there's more space for people that either may be transitioning in um, from a different industry or might have non-traditional backgrounds, or even things like re-entering the workforce to say that there is a space for everybody and there is support because it can be hard if you're coming from a place where you're like the only one, you know, (laughs) where you feel like you are not only working on trying to stay up on the technology, work on the things that you're doing for your function, like learn and study and grow. But you're also like the only one that is like you that is in that space in your community. It becomes a little bit of this extra harder overhead to carry yes. along. It absolutely is. It's it's a, an extra bit of, it's just kind of exhaustion, right? Like sometimes you feel like you have to be the perfect example of, you know, whatever you, you're, you're representing because you don't know if your coworkers have ever met one of you before, that kind of idea too. And uh, it can be really stressful for folks. So it's really, I, I am just absolutely just flabbergasted at the the number of these like really supportive organizations for, for young people and underrepresented communities to, to get into tech because we need, we need so many more voices, right? There's, there's so many more things we could be doing if someone had would been had been there to think about it, right? Like, I know what I need out of a computer, but I don't necessarily know what the next person wants or needs out of, you know, whatever app that they might want to design. So there's so much space for people to be inventive and, and creative. So totally. And I think just that value of having these different perspectives, you know, I'd spent some time working at a, a virtual reality startup also doing mm-hmm. DevOps there. And we would go to some of these different, you know, conventions and shows and they'd have all these really interesting pieces of of hardware or like spatial suits and everything. 
And I had gone to do this demo where it was based around, you know, you wear a vest and you're walking around a space and tracking, but it was, was not built for my body type and form factor at all. Mm -hmm. So I literally couldn't go through and use this, you know, this app because it just wouldn't recognize me. It didn't recognize like my height and my body size and all of these other things. The rest was designed, you know, by a group of engineers that probably had roughly similar frames. Yeah. One of the jokes was we had this sort of like calibration process. And I think I was probably like the shortest uh, one in our group at the time. And then we had one of the other guys that had like a really tall and kind of stocky build. So when we would test our application, that would that would be the upper and lower bound. You know, <laughs> he, he they would test off of him for the, the upper. And then for me on the lower to make sure that when we did all of our calibration, it would recognize kind of these two points of the spectrum. Oh, that's awesome. Just, yeah, fundamental inclusivity for components is is so important. Some other things that you've worked on, one thing that seems kind of interesting that, that folks might find kind of uh, fascinating is a bit about, uh, you did talk a couple of years ago about self-care uh, for systems. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. I think you gave it at, at scale. That's the Southern California Linux Expo uh, that happens every year in what, Pasadena, I think. When, when we were all in person. But, <laughs> yes, that know. was actually the last, the last skill was the last conference that I'd gone to for the entire year. I mean, it, there were a couple of virtuals, but I'm not counting those because it's a very different experience. Different. And yes. it's weird because usually, you know, at least every month or every other month, there would be another major tech event or conference or something to go to. So it's been, it's been odd just to, being be in this new world. I mean, we're all we're all adapting. But that was that was still early on, you know, s- sort of in this proto pandemic stage of we're not too sure what's going on in the world just yet. So yes. a lot of sanita- sanitizer around and people were all being kind of cautious, but we still didn't know it was at the point where yeah. we just weren't sure. So I think that was probably the last time that I was in a crowd that large was uh, not the scale where I gave this talk, but the one just uh, after that. But it is it is a great conference. I know they're not doing it this year, but hopefully, you know, next year. Hopefully they'll be back. Yeah, next year. Yeah, I got to go a couple of years ago too. I miss that. Like you say, you miss the 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 conference experience. Like we're coming up on like my one year grounding, I guess you could say, uh, after DevOps Days New York last year. And and yeah, we we've tried to do some of these virtual events, but like it's not the same. Like a part of the event is like I, I want to be able to meet people. I want to be able to you know like talk about what they're kind of doing. You want to bump into them on the coffee line or whatever and and just have a chat. And that's, it feels so artificial. Like some groups are really good at it. They'll get in there, that virtual networking thing, and they'll just go crazy. And uh, <laughs> other folks just just are not. But yeah, it's just a totally different, totally different experience. Oh, totally. And I think after after going to a certain number of conferences, it's almost like the, the talks because the majority of those end up being recorded and available afterwards. So all the best time ends up being in the hallway track or any of the hands-on. So those would be kind of the two things to do is, all right, if there's a hands-on lap where I can actually spin something up and I've got someone on, on the other end to be able to answer questions because something doesn't launch properly or just catching up with, with people, uh, you know, or maybe some, some of being able to access and, and talk to some of the other speakers or people that are working on really interesting things and swap notes, you know, sw- swap field stories. 
Exactly. Exactly. For for workshops, have you have, have you been to anything super interesting that you really liked or felt was like really inspired? It's been a long time since I've had time to like sit through a workshop. Oh gosh. Um. So as, as far as the the virtual on, on the virtual side or in the in person side or both. Any, anything. Yeah. Any of them that sound awesome, right? Gosh. So one. So this is a couple couple years ago. Now I want to say at um, Kubicon when it was in in San Diego. It was actually the last day of conference. This was before I'd started here. And there was this this huge room. I think I was maybe waitlisted. You know, I it was it was full. It was a Kubernetes. Thousands of people, shop. yeah. Oh. And it it was super busy. It was packed. I kind of sort of snuck in there and was able to get, you know, uh, access to the lab environment because they had just, you know, good people fluctuating. But it was the very end of the day on Sunday where usually everybody's clearing out. But that room was packed. It was actually this really great, super hands-on, interactive. And prior to that, I guess this is maybe part of my my origin story here is prior to that, a lot of the, the work that I'd done at previous companies was, you know, maybe like really Amazon-based or mm-hmm. um, like private data centers and other things. And that was when I was just starting to kind of learn about the world of what's in Google Cloud and what it, what it's all about. So that was, I think, maybe my first really in-depth hands-on. And it was sort of one, I guess, this really eye-opening experience. Like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, I wonder how long I can keep this lab environment going before they shut it down. <laughs> and then as far as just internal, I mean, we've got a lot of internal training labs and resources. There were some of these tech challenges that we were running through of uh, just being able to do sort of... Uh, you know, all right, he, sort of the scenario based, like here, here are a couple of scenarios, you know, and, and you get kind of the tools to achieve that objective, like maybe building out a data pipeline or something. There have been some of these different ways that I've like sought that out just because, I don't know, I think going back to earlier stuff that we've talked about, once you've been able to actually get on and, you know, still really connect to deploying and managing and being hands-on with, with the software, there's a part I feel like that that doesn't always want to fully, fully give that up and transition over to a totally like non-tech theoretical world. So yes, yes, yeah. you always have that that account with you know your favorite images or, or whatever's ready to go over there. So we can right, right, totally. And there's always a little bit of like, oh, you know, I've got I I'd started a virtual study group during pandemic that was oh, nice. kind of like, all right, we're we're going to have a study hall. We'll, we'll hang out, talk for about 10 minutes, and then everybody's going to go, you know, heads down mute and, and work on something. So that was kind of my way of, of just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to try to keep my Python fresh and, and level it up beyond, you know, there, there was a lot of like, all right, you got to use this for just your scripting and automation and everything. Um, but I kind of wanted to move to, to building something interesting. So what did you end up building? Ooh, so so what I'm still working on is going to be, I think, more of like a text-based adventure game. Uh, so, and I was also playing around with some UI. They have some of these different like Pi game and other utilities where mm-hmm. you can actually build out sprites and stuff. Yeah. But um, for now, I'm like kind of interested in the storytelling aspect of it and being able to build out like this sort of interactive, like interactive fiction type adventure uh, build. So that that is definitely still in progress. Yeah, I, and you've got a few more months of pandemic, I think, to, to, to work on that, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Like, yeah, oh my goodness. But yeah, I guess I didn't even get to my uh, 
the talk that I had done at Scale, (laughs) which was, so the title was Self-Care for Systems at Any Scale, uh, because I kind of threw that scale pun in there. (laughs) The pun, puns are required, I guess. And the idea was around looking at the overall health of your systems and infrastructure and kind of relating that to this idea of your own personal health and the idea of maintenance and your sort of ongoing, you know, how, how do I ensure that I am doing okay and healthy? And then also going back to some of these like root causes and preventative solutions where a lot of that is kind of, it's kind of this same, or at least the similar principles, you know, it's like, all right, if you keep just doing things in this sort of break fix sense, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fine, but you don't necessarily resolve like the root cause of something. It's like, all right, I'm hungry. I'm going to grab junk food. Then it's fine. You fix it. But like, it's the sort of short-term fix. And what does that turn into long-term? So same thing with systems. And so the, the whole idea was kind of taking this idea of looking at, at your systems from a high level and being able to manage things in this sort of proactive way. And, and that was, I guess, just the story that I had sort of built throughout was this idea of like doing a checkup. You know, yes. can you do can you do a checkup on your systems? If your systems are bleeding, you know, there are ongoing failures and things are on fire. Like the most important thing is not to go to a person and say, hey, how's your blood pressure doing? Like, you know, have do you, are you getting a lot of sleep? No, you stop the bleeding first. You take care of the immediate issues and then you go back and say, well, what do we need to do to be able to ensure longevity and like health for the future? How do you bet? Like you do, um, you know, patch management in a certain way so that you ensure things for the future in the same way that you might take vitamins or do something like that, or drink a lot of water, because that is like, how do you patch your body and your health to be able to ensure that you're going to be better for the future? Yeah. That, I, I was reading through the slides and it sounded so fascinating because you're right. Like, you can check your blood pressure and you can do like these vital signs, right? But like, if you still feel bad, like that, that's only part of the problem. And like, okay, so I know that my CPU load is X and my memory utilization is Y and my network throughput is Z. But do I know if my customers are getting the right stuff when they're they're hitting my my services? Like, there's so many facets to look at that. Yeah, you have to keep broadening your view and, and, and working through all that stuff. Super interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just... Also, this idea of some of these sort of like intangible outward manifestations that are all kind of driven in the back end by maybe certain stats. And if you're just looking at the stats and metrics, or if you're just looking at the outward symptoms and you're not starting to connect these, then you don't really have that good picture of like how to make things better. You know, that's the idea is like, how do you make things better? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So we're coming up on time. Um, I have one final question for you. You've had a lot of different experiences and worked in a lot of different places. If there is like one thing you wish you had known earlier in your career about like running software, managing systems, or these kinds of things that you wish you had known, is there anything there that that folks might uh, get some good advice from? I think the main thing is not having to feel like I needed to know everything for one or to be the one to do everything, which is is two, right? Yes. Because a lot of times I think like looking at this whole idea of scaling and scaling self, you know, like an individual unit of human is only going to scale to a certain level before everything maxes out. You know, your 
CPU, you know, your, your brain maxes out, your ability to remember things maxes out, your capacity to hold and store and execute on things maxes out. And at some point, you know, you either got to knock down the inputs or, you know, you just like burn out and end up like wanting to sleep for a week or just end up so super fried where your capacity and output just doesn't end up like your performance goes down, right? So I guess thinking of like self as a computer in this weird sense. And so figuring out like, all right, when when do you need to send some of these requests out? Like when do you need to start saying that there are things that you don't have to individually do? Or even knowing like, okay, the, and this is like that that idea of when when to stop hitting your head against the wall for a problem and when to be able to tag somebody in on it is, all right, if I need to fix like our messaging queue or something like that, is the most effective thing going to be spending like an hour and a half, like reading about the internals of the system or getting somebody that that can sit down and in five minutes, maybe demystify something. So figuring out when to triage just knowledge and work in the right way um, rather than feeling like at all times you must be the uh, technical expert or resource of having to hold and have all this information available. And especially coming from like this sort of support point of view of yeah. supporting and being with end users where it's like as as a, a technologist, you end up being the de facto person that people will go to to ask about something. You know, I've gotten asked about uh, resolving like Google Pay issues or, you know, stuff with, you know, search extensions and everything right. else. And yes. it's almost like if you look at contractors, right? Uh, like, okay, there's a general contractor and maybe they are experts in building a house, but they might not know how the plumbing or electrical or, you know, right. the landscaping works. There, there are finite limits to the information that you hold in your head, but there's this sort of ability of knowing how to outsource the right parts of it in the right way to be able to be most efficient. And so I yeah. think that was one to just have to come to terms with and understand after time. Yeah, that's a that's a super good lesson for folks to learn. We we actually use it a bit in some of our other trainings as far as like when we're talking about uh, responding to incidents, you know, and things like that. Like our our sort of theme there is like don't hesitate to escalate. Like if you are struggling to figure out what's going on with an issue, like it's it's time to to pull in some other folks and and get some help. So yeah, excellent excellent piece of advice. One hundred percent. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really, really great. So I'm really glad you were able to join us. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thanks again for inviting me. It's been super awesome talking with you. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. So I enjoyed myself. Awesome. That's what we like to hear. So we'll, we will sign off. Uh, thanks for joining Page to the Limit. This is Mandy Walls. And we are wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. That's pageittothelimit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. <laughs>